Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham, Scott, physically distancing as always. Hello, Scott. Hey, Sean. Uh, it's it's feels like curling season. Yeah, cold outside. It's uh, getting dark early, and yeah, it does feel like getting into curling season should be happening. But of course, here in Ottawa, it is not happening, Scott, and it doesn't appear as though it'll happen. Despite the end of the 28-day reversion to Phase 2 here in Ottawa, I'm not optimistic that we're going to play at the end of that, are you? Uh, Absolutely not. And that would be two weeks from today as we talk, I think, or two weeks from yesterday. Really? Is that it? It feels like it's been so much longer (laughs) since that announcement. I know. uh, I think the 9th was the uh, day that was in our press release from the club. So... Uh, yeah, it's it, things aren't getting better, and so we're doubting that date. Clubs yes. all across the country are, you know, revising what they their plans have been. Uh, I think I saw a couple more today on Twitter announced they were closing uh, for the season. A lot of others had planned to open in the new year. So the the state of club curling is something that's been on our minds for a while. Yeah, definitely. And something that we've been paying attention to, of course, we talked to Curling Geek during the summer about where the state of recreational curling was at that point. He, of course, at the time was not optimistic. He's been to more curling events than we have, though. And I think we had that when we talked to him, we were more optimistic than he was. So it just really depends on where you live and what the situation is in your community. Of course, the news over the weekend was the cancellation of the events in Saskatchewan, the men's events, and the players who were scheduled to participate in that event. Most notably, Matt Dunstone and his team were quite upset about that. Uh, Colton Flash also very vocal about their disagreement with that decision that was made. But this is where we are in 2020, it seems like, where... People are trying to figure out how to do things and the goalposts are moving. That's just the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. So the, to me, it's almost like that old saying of man plans and God laughs. That that sort of encapsulates what 2020 has been like for curling facilities across the country. Well, not just for curling facilities. It's 2020 uh, everywhere. But uh, curling facilities is what we're here to talk about because it's what we maybe not know the most about, but uh, our show is nominally about curling. (laughs) Yes. So a few months ago, we did do an episode in what I think will be a, a series for us of the unsung heroes of the curling club. So we talked with Megan Huff, who is a league convener here in Ottawa. And we wanted to get back into the unsung hero of the curling club. So why not look at the board members? We've talked on the show a few times about what board members do and the process that goes into making decisions for curling facilities by board members, the vast, vast majority of which I would say 
there might be one or two paid board members at clubs somewhere in this country, but the vast majority are volunteers. And Scott, we have a direct connection to one of these individuals. That's right, Sean. You've heard us many times on the podcast talk about the Fergus Curling Club uh, because they're such a great club. And our father is on the board. So yesterday I was like, hey, why don't we ask dad? Uh, Because he talks (laughs) to us about all this stuff. Uh, So let's put it on in the episode and create some content out of it. Yeah. So we welcome in our dad, Steve Graham, joining us from wonderful Bellwood, Ontario. Hello, boys. How are you tonight? Doing okay. Oh, yeah, you know, okay. But uh, I'd rather be curling. I'll I'll say that. (laughs) So we should say this is actually your second appearance on the show. You were on our very first episode, very briefly. Very uh, briefly. I I do recall that. Yes, yes. Hey, welcome to the Two Timers Club. The Two Timers (laughs) Club. Are there any others? That's the key. Uh, Yeah, I don't think so. We'll get you a hat. You get the jacket. Yeah. Get the jacket. Right. So so let's let's talk about the Fergus Curling Club and specifically what you do on the board. Now, the discussions that we can have, you don't have to get too much into the specifics of Fergus itself, but just general idea of what board members do. If you want to get into the specifics of Fergus, that's fine. But just in case there's any sort of confidential information, obviously don't we don't want to <laughs> compromise any anything like that. But in general, because you've served on other curling club board. So what role does a a board at a curling club typically take? Well, we'll use Fergus as the primary example. The Fergus club has nine board members elected. uh, There's supposed to be three elected each year. You're on for a three-year term. And uh, after the annual general meeting, there's a board meeting and everybody gets assigned jobs. But you usually have a good idea what you're going to do before you get on the board. So I'm currently the treasurer at the Fergus Curling Club. And my responsibilities are are to keep the books, uh, present at each board meeting a financial picture of where the club is at. I pay the bills, take in the receipts. I don't take in the receipts necessarily. Somebody else does that, but I account for them. And then at the year end, uh, do all the uh, uh, reporting for the government remit sales tax, things of that nature. And then the other responsibilities that our particular club focus on, the ice as one director, behind the glass as two, maybe three directors, uh, one for the bar, one for the kitchen, one for the rentals. Uh, And then uh, we have league conveners. So they would be people that would run each league. And then there's an overarching convener that sits on the board. Then there's other jobs, sundry jobs. And then the president doesn't have a specific portfolio. We'll either have um, continue on with the job they had prior to becoming president or take all the grief from the members during the year is primarily what their (laughs) job is. So that's, that's fundamentally the role. Yes. And we are, we are all volunteers. And honestly, I've dealt with other volunteer boards in my past, as you both know, but it's a thankless job at times because a lot of people just don't appreciate the amount of work that goes into it. And anytime you suggest to the people that complain the most that they should come on the board and fix the problem, oh, no, no, 
inevitably you get the, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I don't have time. I don't have a skill set, blah, 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 or I'm not interested. Well, to me, you can't have it both ways. If you want to complain, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. But it doesn't always work out that way. Is that like uh, if you can't complain about the government if you don't vote? Something like that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Fair I mean, enough. we're always, so, I mean, any organization that re- requires volunteers is always looking for people to participate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I took on the treasurer's job because I'd done it in other clubs and associations I'd been involved with. I'm comfortable with it. And uh, so I thought, well, you might as well go with your strength. I didn't want to be the bar guy. I didn't want to be the kitchen person. I don't know enough about ice making and being on the ice. Uh, so this was my comfort level. And I think if people approach a volunteer job in that fashion, they'll enjoy it far more than being gang pressed into doing something they don't really do. And again, I've experienced people that are come on the board with no understanding of what's involved in the time commitment. And it re, it's reflected in the results they get. So, Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we, why don't we talk about uh, the 2020 situation? So in the spring, there was lockdown, sort of a, a quick halt to everything in life. Uh, in your role on the board there, was the decision to shut the ice plant down immediately? Did you talk about, uh, you know, maybe delaying it for a while? What, what went on there? Well, I curled on the Thursday night, March the 12th. And when I left the club that night, everything seemed normal. Mm-hmm. And then the next day was Friday, March the 13th. And everything seemed during the day to blow up. I, I don't know that I recognized it during the day, but um, one of the board members works in a uh, seniors facility. And he decided that uh, things had escalated. So he, he th- along with the president, decided to have an emergency board meeting that night at the club. He also convened the Friday League and he had canceled the Friday League. So we arrive at the club and um, the board members were there and we were lucky enough to have an individual uh, consult who is a member of our club who works over in the Waterloo um, Public Health Unit. And he was there. So he advised us on the virus in general, the prospects, and gave us some insight to the situation that we probably wouldn't have had if he'd not been at the, at the meeting. And um, throughout the meeting, we were all getting more and more anxious. And then at the end, there was a vote taken, and the vote was to close the club immediately. And this did um, impact us because we had a few things going on the latter part of uh, latter part of March that so it did affect our bottom line a little bit uh, relative to the revenue side. Most of our expenses were done, and um, we told the ice maker to turn the plan off. I believe he did it on the Saturday and whatnot. We did get a little pushback from some of the individuals I mentioned earlier that that question everything the board does without necessarily understanding the reasons behind the decisions that are made. So we did it right away. And um, we felt that we would be closing the club two weeks. I think it's two weeks till the first Thursday in in April, pardon me. We would have our last uh, playoffs. We have an AGM the same night because everybody's there. And that would have been the end of curling. And so we didn't lose out 
on many activities, but uh, some of the leagues were were, were uh, shut down early. Mm-hmm. And we just went into hiatus for the summer. So without having an AGM, the board carried on, the, the, the board we had in place, and uh, nothing much happened until August. And in August, we convened an opening committee. And it wasn't, it, there were a couple of board members, but we got other prominent individuals within the club that had either convened, longtime members, um, other attributes. And uh, they looked at all the uh, Curling Canada and, and the uh, guidelines from the uh, Curl On and developed a plan as to how we might consider opening. And I was asked to participate just to provide some financial some financial information as to what kind of things they were looking at, what can we look financially. So that that was sort of August. And then we uh, we finally had an AGM, got a new board in place. And since then, we've had numerous meetings trying to figure out what we're going to do. Yeah, you seem to always miss our trivia nights. Uh, <laughs> yes, Wednesday uh, seems to be a popular night. Going to board meetings, so. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, you mentioned the guidelines from Curling Canada and Curling Canada has been very open about its belief that curling clubs, curling facilities are independent businesses and that they don't really have a say over them. But they're also responsible for growing the sport. And I think they should be more involved at the grassroots level. And certainly Curl Ontario, given where the club is, is involved in this process as well. So how much of a say or how much influence or information were you getting from the provincial and national bodies while you were in the process of making these decisions, both in the spring and through the summer and now that we're into the fall? We, uh, some of the board members, including myself, attended, uh, Curl On had a webinar. I think the first one crashed. (laughs) <laughs> because there's so many people on yeah. line. And uh, eventually they had a second one about uh, government funding. So I attended that one and we've taken advantage of the government funding options. But when they did the return to curl guidelines, I guess maybe the government funding was first. Um, we looked at all those. We distributed those to the members on the board. We posted them on our website and directed members to look at them if they uh, chose to do that, to try and give everybody the kind of background that we would be looking at to conduct the 2021 curling season. So the opening committee used those quite a bit. They, they looked at it. They looked at different areas that would be affected, came to the conclusion rather quickly, and I think other places have done the same, that there would be no outside activity, so no bond spiels no kitchen, a limited bar. Um, They looked at three sheets of ice instead of the four sheets we would usually have rather than try and do the, what did you folk, you two call it, the on ice ballet that would have to be done. Mm -hmm. So those were kind of of things. So they met two or three times. I provided them input with different scenarios as to here's what we could anticipate uh, our expenses to be if we opened from October till April and how much gener- revenue we would need to generate, primarily from memberships, in order to cover those expenses. We're, we're a club with limited financial flexibility 
in my mind. Uh, mm -hmm. We have what we have in the bank. We do have a capital fund, but I felt strongly that should not be touched. So I presented a scenario and using something that they, an approach they had taken at the Milton Curling Club where your mom and I used to curl for quite a while and still have friends. Uh, I said, we need X number of curlers to curl at this price. And if, an, if another uh, Y number of curlers provide a sustainability fund is what we, uh, a donation to the club. And the sustainability fund was designed that if we didn't open, we'd have cash to get through the winter because we do have expenses, overhead expenses throughout the year, not just uh, during the curling season. And, uh, and if people wanted to curl, they could play, pay over and above what the sustainability donation would be. And then um, we would see if we would get the right numbers and that, may, that would determine if we want to put ice in. And the real decision from the board perspective and the opening committee perspective was putting the ice in was for us a drop dead decision that mm -hmm. if we wanted a season and put the ice in, we were committed to have curling provided the provincial authorities and the health authorities allowed us to. But if we didn't get enough members that were interested, then we would keep the ice out we would have the money to go through the balance in the season. And to date, we haven't come up with the decision whether to put ice in. Uh, there's another meeting on November the 4th, um, which I understand to be registrations will be closed. They'll look at the numbers. I would imagine I'll be tasked with looking at here's how much money we have. How do we want to spend that in order to get um, curling going? And rather than start in October, they did make the decision to start in um so, uh, January and try and go through till the end of April. So still get four months of curling in, uh, probably eliminate playoffs and all those kind of things, but just have 16 weeks of curling. And they've done a bit of a marketing approach to how much that costs a week compared to other things that you were doing before that you can't do now. Um, bowling was one of them going out for dinner, all those kinds of things. So, so far, it honestly hasn't been as successful as I think we would like it to be, but we'll see when the final push code uh, is and, finished. Yeah, and, and so as part of the financial calculation that, uh, that you have to do for the club, uh, increased costs, costs for uh, PPE, cleaning supplies, all that sort of stuff. Uh, was there a number sort of recommended from Curling Canada based on number of sheets, number of members? That kind of thing? Nothing that I saw, no. Okay. No. We had access to some uh, hand sanitizer over the summer uh, that the president got a hold of. <laughs> so we have that. Uh, and we were going to talk. We have a custodian that we pay during the curling season. Actually, she comes in all year because we do have some activities during the summer, rentals and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So... We we're going to talk to her too and decide how much does she need uh, to help build. But I, I built in a figure of about 3000 to 3500 for the year, which is at least twice, if not three times as much as we would normally pay hmm. for that kind of stuff. Oh. Right. Okay. And in, in all the decision-making and the, the process that has gone into this at all the meetings, what's the discussion in terms of the balance between 
the financial side of opening the club and the potential risk that the provincial government will require another round of restrictions in your region as compared to people who are unsure of curling and just the overall health and safety. You mentioned that there's a someone who works in public health. So what is the the nature of the discussion between those those elements, the, the health and safety protocols and the financial situation of the club? These have been ongoing since August, since the opening committee started to try and weigh the balance. How many people would um, just opt out? How many people would like to support what is deemed to be the longest continuously operating curling club in Ontario? That has a lot of um, uh, cachet in the, with, within the club members. Uh, they take pride in that fact, and they don't want to see the club not operate. But to your point, we're, it's a difficult balance to try and strike. Um, again, the, the individual who advised us in March has continued to advise us. He's been on the opening committee, and he's been a, a, a consultant to the board as they've gone through their deliberations. So we've got the health perspective. We're, we're lucky here in the, in the Fergus Curling Club and, and Wellington County in general is that the number of cases are very, very low. And so within the community, if we were all contained within the community, I think it would be an easier decision for people to, uh, to get out and curl and do things. Unfortunately, we have members that don't live in Wellington County. We have people that don't work in Wellington County. Uh, they're going into Guelph or they're going over to Waterloo and Kitchener, even down into Mississauga. So, you know, those people are out and about and the way the virus seems to work that you're at risk if those people have it and bring it back to the club. It's very, very, I'm very conscious of it. And I think the other board members are as much conscious of it too. And it's not so much the liability we might have as much as we will make a decision that will get reversed in early January when we've got a lot of upfront costs to put the ice in and all of a sudden we can't use it. And mm -hmm. uh, what the heck do we do? Do we leave it in? Do we turn the plan off and try and melt it in January? Uh, all those kind of decisions need to be factored in. And as the treasurer, I've tried to present a scenario where this is the minimum amount we need in the bank before we even consider starting. And I think some people have have don't have the same appreciation as how I'll characterize it as I do from that financial perspective. It's let's just get the people and let's curl. And I think there's enough consideration of the risk involved, but I don't know if enough people appreciate what the downside risk could be. Can you uh, ballpark for the listeners, what, what sort of percentage of the costs of running the curling club per year is related to the upfront costs uh, putting in the ice? Mm. The, the actual cost to install the ice is, is maybe 20 to 30% of your overall cost. Your overall, our cost, our largest expenditure by category is for, for electricity. Yeah, to run the plant, and we have an old plant. We have a our um, 
our facility used to be attached to a hockey rink and the hockey rink was condemned and torn down, I believe sometime in the early seventies. But the plant that the curling club is using is a holdover from the hockey rink. And uh, you both know the old Memorial arena in Georgetown. And that was the vintage of the rink they tore down. So uh, it's gotta be, it's, it's been retrofitted over the years uh, and certainly up to current safety standards and all those kinds of things. But it, it, it's an old, uh, I don't think it's an energy efficient uh, curling plant. Right. So, so that would be our largest expenditure. And then the ongoing maintenance of the ice. Um, Scott, you've been a, you've been a, an ice tech, you know, the, the, the sharpening of the blades, the tuning of the scraper, um, flooding the ice, the water usage, um, all that kind of stuff. We have we have to paint the floor every year. It is a concrete floor, but we need to paint it. Last year we did get rings, um, decals, because okay. we had sponsors and whatnot. So, you know, we can use those again this year. So. I'd say 20 to 30% is to put it in another 10% to take it out and the rest would be the ongoing, but electricity. And if we call it hydro, so that's the water sewage electricity, that would be our largest expenditure over the course of a curling season. Yeah. So you don't want to make a decision to put it in and then not have people using that facility while you're paying. That's right. Because exactly. Because one of the decisions, if we put it in, and can't use it is how much of the revenue we've collected are people going to want back? Yeah. Uh, you know, cause how we've positioned us is that, um, so the sustainability fee, this it's, it's a hundred dollars that we've asked every member to contribute. Now we haven't got it from every member and that's fine with the understanding that's to ho- that's to help the club sustain itself over the season. If we don't curl, and then there's an additional premium of 300 to curl. And so those that have signed up to curl and such as myself, I've paid an additional $300. But the idea is if that we put, we said, if we put the ice in, there's no refunds, but I don't know that the board can substantiate putting the ice in planning to start January the 4th in January the 6th, the government says, no, you can't curl. I don't know ethically if we shouldn't give some kind of a refund even though we've said you you won't get a refund um those are the kind of situations that that um are front of mind with the with the board members as to how to move forward and and again because there's not a lot of virus within the community right now um that seems to be a lesser risk that they're considering it's more the financial risk well, in normal times, what is the margin for a curling club? We know they're not for profit, but like how how stable is an average club? Like this is a small town in Ontario yep. that has a few hundred members. That's all volunteer run. You know what type of margins and what what. What is the amount typically in the bank that a small club like this could expect to have? So I've been the treasurer for almost four years now. So the lowest amount we've had in the bank is under $10,000. And, uh, you know, when we have people registered money in the bank at the start of a season, we'll have over 100000 
So what we do too is we collect with every registration, we collect a certain amount of that registration goes to a capital fund. So we've been able to, over the last seven or eight years, built up a bit of a cushion in a capital fund. But I know other clubs and, and you know, uh, a friend of mine that, that um, lives north of here, I won't name the town or the club, uh, but um, he was saying that his club is going to open and they're going to open the club regardless of how many members they have because they feel it's important for the club to continue so people don't forget about curling and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a big backstop so that if they get shut down, uh, they're still in Wellington County, but if they get shut down in um, in January, which is their start date would be the 1st of January, he says, we'll, we'll just take the loss and uh, it'll just lessen the bank account. And they don't have a backstop. So if the plant blows up or whatever, that will be a huge decision they have to make. But they feel it's important to open the club, run the club, offer curling for those that want to accept the risk of curling. Uh, in order to maintain the continuity of the club and make sure it's available to everybody next year. Um, Other clubs that thought, another club, I mentioned Milton earlier, I was talking to the president there last week. He was saying that they fully plan to start now, I think now or the 1st of November, and they pushed that back to January because people are starting to get cold feet. Now, they're in an area of Halton, that has far more active cases and new cases than we do where we are. So it'll be interesting to see if they have to reverse course come January, if people just decide they don't want to curl. So I, I would think it's, it's the financial situation that we need to deal with. So, and it is a break even proposition as a nonprofit. So mm-hmm. Uh, did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Yeah, that was, that was great. Um, now, I, I, now, just the last question for me, we'll see if Scott has anything else. But uh, the last question for me that I have for you that I want to get on the record. Why have we been so terrible as a team in the Rito <laughs> men's spiel the past two years? What has been our biggest issue that has prevented us from moving on to the Sunday of the playoffs the way we did in the first year? I think it's bad luck. I think we let's face it. Last year, the two teams that beat us the first two games were we should have beat them. I mean, there's <laughs> just no doubt about it. I, you know, a shot missed here. You know, they make some. I remember a couple of times, Scott, when I was in the house and watching their their skip throw, and and he made some just crappy sh- shot, <laughs> and we're looking at what the hell happened there. <laughs> yeah, but it ends up I, good for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, like a missed shot. He's, he's a, you know, half a foot, four inches off the broom and all of a sudden it curls for him and boom, yeah. the result is great. And we didn't seem to have the same kind of luck. How's that? So I don't think it was ability, Sean. I really think it was. Uh, I, I, I just want to know what your thoughts were. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No. And if, uh, if, if, if they ever resurrect this bond spiel, I know it won't be this January, but I, I'd come back again. Now I've always said to you, it's always predicated on the fact that you'll have me back. And if you throw me over for a better player, that's okay too. Well, it I, I can say that as the, the member of the team who puts the 
the foreman every year, trying to recruit people to play when they know Scott is going to skip is kind of <laughs> a hard, a hard sell at times. So yes. Okay. So it's, it's my one chance all year to exercise my skip muscle. And <laughs> I think that we haven't done well the past two years because I haven't played well. I think, uh, you know, those unlucky breaks, yes, we've got them, but there's always been a chance for me to, you know, make a shot and I just haven't done it. But Sean uh, or Scott, I mean, it, it's a situation where it's a team game, right? So who, who on the team isn't on this particular podcast? So we'll just oh, throw yeah, him under the bus, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Heidsy, right? <laughs> Heidsy. Well, Heidsy, the guy who plays once a year. Here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there were a few times we, we, as the front end, didn't leave you much. That's for sure. But. Uh, yeah, I remember that more from last year than the year before. But yeah, uh, but it's yeah, that's an enjoyable bond spiel, and uh, I consider myself lucky that you two have invited me over the years. And uh, at one point, I'll have to bring Mum along so that uh, she can get the ambiance of the Reno men's bond spiel. <laughs> yeah, she'll There's be there a for lot fun. of there, there are a lot of women in the club during the Reno men's bond spiel. I do have to say, yeah, there are actually, yeah. Yeah, they're, which they're, I don't understand because it's not entertaining to watch any of these people play. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody on the ice is worth coming to watch. No, uh, I don't think no. in terms of for their curling ability. No, no, it's friends and family. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, well, that seems like a good note uh, to end on, Sean. Yes, that that was terrific. Wow. Uh, so, Dad, thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us this evening. Well, you're both very welcome for whatever I, uh, I offered up to this bond spiel, but thank you very much for considering asking me too. I think uh, uh, it is important to get the perspective of the smaller clubs. I mean, you both play at the big city clubs and uh, less volunteering there than, than elsewhere. So um, I'd like to hope we'll, that the Fergus curling club will open uh, come January. I do. Cause I really don't know what the heck I'm going to do all winter without it. <laughs> And uh, I hope all the other clubs manage to uh, put a season together as well. But I think more importantly, it's certainly paramount to keep everybody safe and healthy. So thanks very much again for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And uh, very well said. And yes, we do hope that all the curling facilities out across the country are in whatever position to be successful this year, whatever success is in your community and that we can have a full, great curling season next year. And in terms of the continuously operating part of the curling, of the Fergus Curling Club, excuse me, I believe that I was the definitive voice during the debate on Twitter that as long as there is a game at some point in 2021, that counts because you're doing by yeah. calendar year, at least I would. So you have yes. till New Year's Eve. 2021 to play one game in the facility, then it counts. Well, so you got my, time. Yeah. And my opinion is as long as we have an AGM, because this club has been apparently continuously operating since 1834. And I got to believe there's been some time in the 1850s where there was no ice on the potholes in the main street of Fergus that they may have missed curling, but they certainly had a drink at the pub run by the guy that started the club and had a some sort of AGM. So to me that counts as a as a year of curling. So yeah. And there's there's enough curling 
clubs across the country where curling is not even remotely in, in the main draw. It's probably not even the top 10 reasons why people show up at the place. So the, the actual playing of the games is kind of secondary for this continuously operated thing. That's right. And as I've gotten older, I consider the off-ice activities far more <laughs> enjoyable than the on-ice. Yes. Um, so that'll do it for this week, Scott. Big week for you. Yeah, a huge week. I'm uh, busy. <laughs> well, I, good, I luck. Good, good luck with all that. Yeah, a uh, big week, fun week. Uh, you know, we got Halloween coming up on yeah. Saturday. Everybody, if you are able to go out, be safe. Uh, keep Wear lots of brightly lit clothing so that cars yeah. don't run into you. Yeah. And, and if you're uh, not able to go out trick-or-treating, I will see you Sunday morning buying cheap candy. <laughs> yes. Get in line. Yeah. Uh, and Scott, people might be wondering, anyone who joined us on Monday for our weekly chat, uh, this time it was just Jonathan from the Rocks Across the Pond bond spiel. We did uh, What Would You Do for Curling, where we pulled up some curling situations to talk to a little strategy. But people might be wondering, Scott, did you turn on your furnace as yet? No, I haven't. And not only that, I'm wearing shorts today in my house. Even though it's colder than it was yesterday, and you looked like it was the middle of February yesterday. Yes, but today I went out for a little bit, got the blood pump in. I wasn't just sitting in my chair all day. So <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, uh, that's good to know. Stay warm over there, Scott. We don't want to get any reports that you have frozen to death in your apartment because you refused to turn on the furnace. Well, you know, uh, uh, your concern is very much appreciated. <laughs> and thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. Of course, do check out our Monday chats. It's on our Facebook group with the guys from Rocks Across the Pond. I said this week was a strategy discussion. You can find all of the videos of our chats that we've had since we started this in the spring over on the Game of Stones Facebook page. You can also find all of our past episodes over on GameofStonesPod.com and the link to the merch, the t-shirts there, and every shirt, all the proceeds are going to Food Banks Canada, plus we're matching those, so you can find all that Game of Stones Pod. You can follow along everything we're doing on Twitter and Instagram at Game of Stones Pod. Scott's there at Scott Lakes TV. I'm at the Sean Graham. And if you want to get in touch, let us know what you want to hear on the show. You can find us Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. I do want to apologize for the little mix up that we had last week. I'm not entirely sure what happened with the show when I initially uploaded it, but only about the first 35 minutes worked. Uh, but we were able to update that. So apologies if you're listening and the show just cut off in the middle but uh, that should be fixed if you want to go back and listen to the rest of that episode where we talked about some obscure rules in curling so we'll be with you next week until then have a happy safe halloween keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern make the final